Once you open your Bible with me, I want to share tonight. We're doing a, a um, freedom theme this week, and uh, but I want to speak tonight on the orphan spirit. So where we're going to start? Just going to start in John chapter seventeen. John chapter seventeen. John seventeen. During the week, I'm going to speak on uh, the the spiritual roots that drive the orphan spirit. Tonight, I want to give you an introduction, open up understanding about this. And uh, so you can understand what the orphan spirit is, how it affects our life, what, what caused it to be established. But uh, during the week in the Freedom Conference, I want to speak about the spirit roots that drive it. And I want to talk about the revelation of the Father and help you understand what God is like. Because without revelation, we don't, in, we don't become intimate with someone without revelation of who they are. So they go hand in hand. Intimacy with God uh, leads us to revelation. But without revelation, we don't become more intimate. People live in a very superficial realm of understanding what God is like. So let's have a look in, uh, we're going to read in John chapter 70. This is Jesus' prayer. Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, and so his last words are very important words. And uh, as you go through, there's a treasure of things that he speaks of here. But we'll read in John chapter uh, uh, 17, and we'll read verse 4, verse 6, and verse 26. And Jesus said, I have... uh, No, we'll read it in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. And then finally, uh, in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world. And then verse 26, I have declared to them your name and will declare it, and here's why. So that the love with which you have loved me may also be in them. Amazing, amazing what Jesus had to say. This eternal life that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I want to, before I talk about the orphan spirit, I want to talk a little bit about what sonship means. I'll deal with it a little more deeply uh, during the week. When we think of sonship, we tend to think of just in masculine terms. But in the Bible's The understanding in the Bible is neither male nor female in Christ. So God uses different ways of describing our relationship with him. So in one case, he calls us sons of God. And sons of God include men and women. It has to do with the particular relationship with God and the function of a son in the earth. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, But in another place, it calls us the bride of Christ. So men and women are the bride of Christ. When it's talking about that, the focus is on intimacy. Intimacy. When it's talking about sonship, the focus is on expanding the kingdom of God and his governance in the earth. So when we talk about sonship, we're talking men and women in relationship with God as father. Now Jesus, in these verses here, Uh, begins to describe that. Notice the first thing he says, and I'll open up a few things about what it means, uh, what his mission was, or what Jesus came to do. He said, this eternal life, that they know you and the one that you sent. The word sent is an unusual word. It's it's difficult to translate it. They put it down as sent, but you miss all the meaning of it. Uh, The word in, in the original language is the word apostello. And the, the people who were trying to translate it, it was so difficult to translate it because of what it meant to the original people that they just put down apostle. Wow. So they just made it, they anglicized the word. We don't really, we can't really put it into a better language, so we're just going to use the word apostle. So the word apostello is just translated apostle, or in this case, they try to put the word sent but it doesn't really describe it. So if you wanted to understand the word, you'd need to go back into the day 2,000 years ago. What did it mean to them then? And what it meant then was something like this. A Roman general or a Roman uh, 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 leader of some kind uh, who was assigned the task of entering a territory occupied by an enemy, overcoming the enemy, and establishing the culture and the rule of Rome in that place The word for sending him out was the word apostello. He became an apostle, a representative of the governance of Rome, sent to conquer the adversaries, sent to establish the culture and the rule of the kingdom of Rome. That's what the word apostello means. So it says now, notice what it says, the father sent me. Apostello is the word that's used there. In other words, the father has commissioned 
and sent me as his representative to come into a realm which is occupied by demonic spirits and the culture of hell and to come and overcome those spirits, establish the culture of heaven on earth and bring the life of my father to earth. That's what's being said there. So you've got to look past the superficial as you read these things. Now you begin to see these things. Now, I've glorified you on earth. I finished the work which you have given me to do. So notice at the end of Jesus' ministry, he's able to say something like this. I'm going to put it in a different language. He said, I have accomplished my assignment. Now, a person who thinks apostolically will think of having an assignment. Now, people today use the word commonly a purpose. I want my purpose. I want my, what's my purpose? What's my purpose in life? I find that kind of thinking not to be very helpful. But when you think of the word, I have an assignment. Yes. Now, if you have an assignment, you have a specific task you're called to do. You have someone who sent you to do it, and you report back to them when you've finished your assignment. So I like to see my life in terms of a series of assignments God has given me, I'm now entering into my next season with a new assignment, which is different to the local church assignment I had. You understand, in thinking that way, we're not looking at what people think. We're thinking, I am sent by God with a specific task to accomplish that suits the gifts that God has given me. You get any idea now? See, once you start to see that, now, of course, now, uh, if you just were to jump ahead, you realize the church is given an apostolic commission. Now, when God sends someone, and we need to understand that when God created the earth, he created the earth to display his goodness in it. And he had to consider in what way he would display his goodness. How would he demonstrate his character? How would he demonstrate his uh, rulership, his authority, and God decided and chose he would do it through his paternity. So when God initially established the earth, he put in it a man and a woman to stand as sons in his, representing him to expand his kingdom in his power. That was the original design. Now notice Jesus comes, he said, the Father has sent me. So now, when we look at the issue of a son in the Bible, a son is quite, the, the concept and thinking is, is quite different to a Western thinking. Western thinking is incredibly individualistic. So when we think, we think from an individualistic framework. So I think father, son, son grows up, leaves home, does his thing. Now that is not at all a Hebrew culture thinking. It is not a biblical thinking. In the Bible, the son was always considered an extension of the father. In other words, he was the father's representative, and when he grew old enough, he would be given authority to represent his father. That's why in the Bible, uh, in, and in the Hebrew culture, as in Asia, many places of the world today, when you introduce yourself, they don't want to know your first name, they want to know your family name. Where have you come from? Who is your father? And so the uh, understanding in the Bible and the thinking in the Bible is a son is an extension of his father who represents his father and carries on his father's business in the earth. That is the biblical thinking about sonship. So the son is the representative father. In fact, in the Old Testament, the name son or the word son is the word ben. It means to be a builder of the father's name or to be a builder of the father's family or house. So the whole thinking behind being a son. See, if you don't catch this, you don't understand what you're called into. See, what we do with our individualistic mindset is we just see God as someone we can come to to bless. We don't see ourselves as an extension of our Father with an assignment to fulfill representing Him and expanding His kingdom. That is a total paradigm shift. We become church people. Church people are happy to come to services. Sons are not concerned about services. They're concerned about their Father's kingdom. And that means it doesn't matter whether they have a ministry in a church or outside a church. It's always about Father and about His kingdom being advanced through my life. You understand when you think that way, it's a totally different paradigm. It's an apostolic paradigm. 
pastoral paradigm means that a church is just a gathering place. You gather, you nurture people, encourage people, feed people. An apostolic, par- par- an apostolic paradigm is we raise them up, mature them, disciple them, discipline them, and release them to expand the kingdom as sons and daughters of the living God. So a son then is an extension of the father. A son carries the DNA of the father. A son represents the father, not himself. A son expands the father's business on the earth. Now you you see when you look at the life of Jesus, at the age of 12, he knew who he was. Remember, they found him in the temple, and what did he say? Uh, The parents said, what are you doing here? And he said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. I'm in the process of learning dad's business because I know who I am and I know what I'm called to do and I need to be trained and equipped and prepared for that. So lots of things that are like this. It just, it starts to open your mind to break a church paradigm and begin to understand, actually, this is about my identity as a believer. Who am I? Where have I come from? And that can only be found in our connection with God. Now notice what Jesus said, I finished the assignment, I have manifested your name to the men you gave, out of the, gave me out of the world, or in verse 26, I declare to them your name. What does it mean to declare the name? It means to reveal what someone is like. In the Bible, the name represents the character, it represents the nature of the person, always the names had meanings. So what Jesus is saying is, I have come and manifested or revealed what you are like. What did Jesus come to reveal and how did he reveal it? He came to reveal something that had never been seen before, that God is a tender, loving, and kind Father. Notice he said, I've manifested your name, so the love that I enjoy as your son, they also come into experiencing that same love, that same encounter. So Jesus makes it very clear that he came to extend the Father's name, make the Father known, extend his name by revealing what he's like. So what did Jesus do? Why? He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He showed the tenderness and kindness of God. Why? Because he's a son revealing his Father and inviting us to become part of our Father's kingdom. Not just to get fire insurance and be saved, but to come into a relationship with God as Father and then be His representatives. That requires maturity. It requires growing up. And that's the big challenge the church faces, to grow up. Because the moment you try to shape people, they buck, complain, moan, groan, get all kinds of upset, huffed, leave, walk away. And they they don't realize the church exists to raise up sons and daughters for our Father's kingdom. To be a witness to who Jesus is. Now... Let's get to now the thing of the orphan spirit. I want you to have a look with me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. So what I've done is given you a kind of a, a, like a, a, a background view without which you can't understand what the orphan spirit is about. So now look, I want you to sh- share with you something here in verse uh, John chapter 14 and verse uh, 16 through to 18. John 14, 16 to 18. Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, or comforter, who may abide with you forever. Forever is a long time. And he explains who it is. The Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of my Father, or the Spirit of truth, the world can't receive because it doesn't see him, nor does it know him. So on the whole, the world doesn't know about the Holy Spirit. Knows about other stuff, but doesn't know about the Holy Spirit. He says, but you know him. For he dwells with you. Jesus is saying, you know the Holy Spirit because you've seen him operating in and through my life. But he said very soon, he, he said, he will be in you. So now he's talking about something about to happen. Then he says, I will not leave you orphans. Now, their concern at that point is Jesus has been a spiritual father to them for three years. They gave up the careers to follow him. They have a ministry that's touching a whole nation. Everywhere I go, the crowds are coming out. Then Jesus announces he's about to leave them. Their concern straight away is being orphaned spiritually after they've given up their lives and careers to follow this person. And so Jesus makes a profound promise to them. This is a promise God makes not just to them. It's a promise God makes to every one of us. It's the promise of the Father. I will not leave you orphans. So what is an orphan then? Again, 
when we look at a Western culture, we think through certain filters, it helps if you explore what it meant to the culture that was written to. So for us, we think of an orphan, an orphan's a person who has no father, no mother, they're abandoned, they've got no one at all to look after them, and so they're a ward of the state, they've been orphaned. But in the Bible, an orphan is not that at all. An orphan is a little, a little bit different to that. In, in the Bible, an orphan is anyone with no father. So that's why the Bible has much to say about the fatherless and the widows. Fatherless and the widows, there's a lot to be said about that. So in the culture uh, of the Bible, uh, for a person to have a father, it meant they had a source of identity. Who are you? My name is so-and-so, and he's my father. So no father, you have no identity, no one that you are the extension of them. If you had no father, you had no provider. You had to provide for yourself. If you had no father, you had no protector, and so you become very vulnerable to being exploited by people who took advantage of people without a man in the house. If you were an orphan and had no father, then you had no one to guide you as you grew in life and begin to shape the direction your life took. If you were a child and you were an orphan, you had no father, then you had no one to discipline you, disciple you, to form character in you and prepare to launch you into life. If you were a father, a fatherless child, literally you were on your own to do life. Incredible, incredible loss. If you were fatherless, you had no one to validate you and approve you and give you recognition for who you are. If you were fatherless, you had no one to express the tender love that only a father can give and speak words only a father can say. For a person in the Old Testament to be fatherless was absolutely tragic loss. They lost socially, they were at the bottom of the scale. They lost financially because now they become poor and very difficult to make their way in life. They became vulnerable. So a fatherless, that's why the Bible's got so many instructions about caring for the fatherless and the widows because God's heart is towards them. So Jesus says, I won't leave you fatherless. I won't leave you fatherless. So when a person uh, is orphaned, they're without a father who provides many functions for their life. So then, what that brings us then, what is the orphan spirit? Orphan spirit's not a demon. Probably a better way to describe it would be a mindset or a way of thinking about life and about yourself. It's an orphan mindset. What does that mindset look like and how do people express it in life? Uh, and then where does it come from and what has Jesus done to help us get through that? Here's what an orphan mindset is like. It is empowered by demonic spirits, so therefore people who have an orphan mindset struggle with torments of all kinds. But primarily, it's a, it's a way of thinking about life, that I have to survive on my own because there's no one to come through for me. I have to survive on my own. There's no one to help me, no one to provide for me. I just got to make life work. It's up to me. I'm on my own. So a person who struggles with an orphan mindset struggles really with no source of provision but me. I, there's no one to provide for me. I got to wrestle and compete to provide for myself. If you knew you had someone providing every need you had in life, you're not going to compete with everyone. You don't have to. You can be at rest. You don't have to struggle. And if someone else gets ahead, then it doesn't matter because I'm okay. I got someone providing for me. If you knew you had someone who protected you, someone, no matter what situation you're in, he's there to protect you and help you walk you through it and get you through the other end, you wouldn't live in fear and anxiety worrying about what's going to happen to me today. Can you understand, when a person has an orphan mindset, they live with fears and anxieties, and they live lonely. They live stressed, they live isolated, live struggling in all kinds of different ways. Uh, a person who has an orphan mindset because they believe they're on their own, there's no one here for me. I've got to really stand up for myself. There's no one here really wants me. I really, I don't belong anywhere. Remember, to have a father meant to belong somewhere. You notice the words that Father spoke to Jesus. They're full of significance. I can't, I can't develop it tonight, but they're absolutely totally full of, full of significance. L listen to how God 
the father speaks to his children. You are my beloved son. See? Affirming or owning, you belong to me. You're the extension of me. And you are beloved to me. You are a treasure and precious to me. I take delight in you. I was with a group of uh, a thousand young people in Singapore. I asked them this question. I said, how many of you ever heard your father say to you, son or daughter, I love you? There were five hands went up out of a thousand. Five. That means, although they had all the provision that they would need, what was missing was, I have no father to speak into my heart the words only a father can speak. Son, I love you. You've got what it takes. I value you. One of the most powerful things we can learn to do is speak words of validation into one another. And that's what God does. When you teach people to, learn, to hear the voice of God, <laughs> the number one thing they always hear is, son, I love you. You're precious to me. You're very dear to me. So, so you see the problem then of a person being an orphan. There's no one to promote them. Jesus, Notice when Jesus... Uh, received that words from his father he also received the, the Holy Spirit came on him he received access to his father 24-7 and provision by his father for everything he needed so you notice then at Jesus' baptism encounter with the father he was endorsed as a son and given provision to represent the father what an amazing no wonder he's secure people walked away saying okay you guys going to go too? Today, anyone leaves us, we're in a panic. <laughs> and, and actually, it's funny how it internalizes. What's wrong with me that they left me? Because of deep issues that we struggle in our heart because we haven't come to rest that God is with us. Amen? So how do people get in that condition? Three ways. Three ways. Number one, there's a demonic spirit called Lucifer, a fallen angel who became orphaned himself when he rebelled against God, and he wants to put that lonely, miserable, don't belong spirit on everyone. One of the key drivers behind the orphan spirit is the spirit of rejection. I'm not acceptable. I don't belong. That spirit attacks everyone. You've got to learn to recognize it and its fellow companions and overcome it. So that's one of the root sources. Here's the second root source. The second source is the, the separation that came because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, you remember what happened in, uh, in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 3? It says, the moment they sinned, it said this. It said this. It said, they heard the voice of the Lord God in the garden, and they hid themselves. So when you look at what happened as Adam and Eve broke their relationship with their father, what happened is they first of all concealed themselves. It made fig leaves. Number one, fig leaves, they concealed their identity. Ever since the fall of Adam, people have been hiding who we are and trying to present who we think will be acceptable. Fig leaves. That's one of the things Jesus came to remove, to remove that so you could be established in your identity and be able to be exactly who you are and be free to enjoy who you are. Second thing they did, it says, it says if, you listen, if you read there in, in uh, Genesis 3, verse 10, you see, when they heard the voice of the Lord garden, uh, God walking in the garden, it says, they hid, and, and, and God said to them, Adam, where are you? Not, now, that's a relationship question. It's not a, you're gone, I lost you. It's a relationship question, where are you? And he came out and he spoke to him, and he said, he said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So you notice that he's experiencing fear and shame. Shame is about our identity. So he hid his identity from his wife. He hid from God. He did all he can to avoid the possibility of being rejected. This is where these problems have come from. And God spoke to him, who have you been listening to? What voices are influencing the way you think? What is troubling your mind? Where did those voices come from? And then will you be responsible? Now, so we see then three sources of the orphan spirit. Number one, demonic spirits. Demons attack people. They bring pressure on their mind to push on them the belief you're on your own, no one cares, 
no one accepts you, something's wrong with you. They constantly barrage people with those thoughts. Number two, because we're separated from God and don't have intimacy with him, then we struggle to hide who we are because of the sense of shame and what we know about ourselves. And number three, we learn family patterns. We learn family patterns. We learn patterns. Many, pa many parents are good parents. They do the very best they can. But some parents fail dramatically. Some fathers fail drastically. And the consequence of that is to reinforce the belief, I'm on my own. There's no one there for me. So Jesus came to remedy all of that. Jesus came to restore us. So when people are under the influence of an orphan spirit, they've got several traits. Let me just list the traits and then we'll finish and show you what Jesus did to bring us back into relationship. Here's some of the traits of someone with, a, with an orphan spirit. Number one, they're usually very oversensitive. What are they oversensitive to? They're oversensitive to the opinions people have about them. They're oversensitive to what people think. They assume people are, uh, are never going to accept them, that people will find something wrong with them. They find it difficult to trust people, and they become easily offended. When people have an orphan spirit or an orphan mentality, they're suffering deep rejection. When you try to correct them, they react strongly. The Bible tells us in, in the book of Malachi that the last days will be characterized by this so badly that God will send the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the children back to their fathers. In other words, in this last day, we're going to see an outpouring of a revelation of God's fatherhood and a, and a spirit that would restore people into relationship with God as father and back into relationship with their parents where that's possible. That's so huh? Secondly, there's a striving to prove self. There's a striving. See, if you're not validated and, and, and secure in a father's provision for you, then you have to prove yourself. So you find this is one of the issues that's causing a tremendous stress. I, I've been in uh, big altar calls in Sydney. It, it surprised me among young people, the two primary issues that kept coming up. Number one was anxiety. Number two was depression. Anxiety rooted in fear. The fear, not being good enough, not, not getting there, not making it, not breaking through. And uh, depression, a sense of hopelessness, I can never make it. I'm, I'm just, it's never going to happen. And uh, so uh, one of the symptoms of, of an orphan mentality is people competing, comparing, striving, trying to prove or come up to what other people uh, expect. So it's usually driven by ambition. So when they come into church, then they're ambition, ambitious for recognition. I want to be up on the stage. I want to be doing this. I want to be up here. I want this role. I want that role. And God wants you to become secure in your identity so you can serve freely with no agenda. If you have an orphan mentality, then you're looking to people for your acceptance. You would use any ministry role to enhance your identity, and you become insecure and controlling when you do it. This is why God wants us healed in those things. Jesus said, it says in John chapter 13, he knew he came from the Father. He knew he went to the Father. He knew the Father had given everything he needed. So then he knelt down and he served. In other words, because of security and identity, he was free to serve in the lowest role possible. He didn't need the status that men would give him. That's not true of so many people I know. I've watched them. I've even been to pastor. I've been to pastor. I sit down talking to one pastor. We're talking at a table. And we're chatting away. Next thing he said, excuse me, I've got to go. I think, what just happened? Then I realized, oh, Yongi Cho was just coming in and he wanted to go over and position himself so he could shake Yongi Cho's hand. I thought, well, there you go. That shows you've got issues. Yeah. <laughs> Major ones. I don't care. I don't need to shake Yongi Cho's hand. Well, wonderful man of God, but I don't need to shake his hand. I don't need to stop talking to someone so I can go to talk to him and be noticed by him. I don't need to be noticed by him. You understand, it all comes out of something in the heart. Yeah. Lots of these behaviors come out of something in the heart. Uh, one, another thing is that um, there's a constant search for recognition and approval. So when people are orphaned, they're constantly trying to find recognition or approval some way, and it's usually outside them. It's in status, it's in position, it's in a role, it's in possessions, it's in having the latest iPhone or whatever. It becomes a dramatic search and what people are looking for is to find a way to gain what a father should give them. And if you're looking for it outside yourself, you'll always be insecure because if you can get it from there, it can be removed from there. Your life is out of control in that sense. If, if my identity and security comes out of a relationship with God as father, it never changes. 
And people come, people go, people like me, people don't like me. It doesn't really matter because I maintain security within. Do you understand that? That's what God is wanting to put inside us. Otherwise, you're vulnerable to everything that happens around you. So things are going good, you're happy, things are going bad, you're up on an altar call getting prayer. What is that about? I mean, what, what, I mean you, you're totally, like it, the Bible talks about immature, it's just like being tossed by every wind that comes by. Unstable. God wants us to be stable in love, stable in knowing Him, stable in having Him as our Father. They, uh, if people uh, are struggling with an orphan mentality, you'll find then <laughs> that they want people to notice them. But the other thing I do is they... they now, I've got to tell you this one. Because <laughs> I had to repent of this. I really had to repent of it. I went through this myself, you see. The Lord, the Lord spoke to me one day and he said, I want you to fast off praying for people. I said, that is so weird. Is that you, God? What, fast off praying for people? And he said, yeah, three weeks, fast, stop praying for people. So what do people come up for prayer? He said, make sure they get prayed for. That's your job as a pastor. Make sure they get ministry, but don't you do it. I said, why is that? And he said, I see that you are finding your identity in the ministry you do to other people. It's not to be found there. It's to be found in me. I want you to stop doing that for three weeks and just find your security in me, not in the ministry. So for three weeks, no ministry. At the end of it, I can pray or not pray. I'm free of needing ministry to feel good about me or to feel important. It's no longer part of my identity. Think of the first test that Jesus got in the wilderness. It was a test. If you are the Son of God, identity, then prove it. You need to do something. You need to do something special. You need to use your ministry gift to establish your identity. And this is what's going on in churches everywhere. People using their ministry gift, and so therefore they use people to build their ego. This is not what Father came to build. This is not what Jesus came to build. Jesus came to build something different. He came to build a family where people are validated and loved and built. That's what Jesus came to do. And what he said, here's why he spoke to the church of his day. He said, my house should be a house of prayer. And you've, yes. you've made it something else. Yes. Made it a damn thieves. You, you're taking from people rather than building people. Yes. That's what got Jesus angry. He didn't get interesting. And he didn't get angry at sinners. He got angry at the religious system that manipulated people for its own benefit and value. That's what got him angry. Because he said, you're, com you're, you're claiming to represent Father, but you misrepresent Him. That's what got him upset. Oh, it's getting quiet now, isn't it, eh? Orphan mentality, orphan mentality, see? So, so orphan mentality. So people who have an orphan mentality will always struggle to submit to spiritual authority. They'll all, let me say it again. They'll always struggle to submit to spiritual authority. Now, here's the interesting thing. God's authority is dispersed in His body for developing and maturing us for the call of God in our life. If we can't submit to people and receive correction and instruction, we then miss the opportunity to grow and we miss the opportunity to develop into the fullness of our calling. Right. And you say, oh, well, that's too tough. No, it isn't. It's actually what God has designed. I want you to think about this. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, when he's about to be launched into the ministry that would touch the nation, eventually the world, what did he do? Did he put up an advertisement? No, he did not. Did he go on radio and TV? No, he did not. What did he do? He walked 80 miles across the country and he submitted to John the Baptist, who God had anointed and was the anointed ministry carrying the message of the hour. He submitted to that ministry and then became launched into his own. Now, you understand, if Jesus needed to do that, why would we not? There's so many commands about it, yet because, I tell you why, it's because we carry in our heart distrust of authorities because of bad experiences, and while we don't resolve those, we remain orphaned and unable to receive from genuine fathers and mothers in the faith what will help us mature. Orphan mentality. Know someone like that? Maybe they're next to you. <laughs> Maybe they're next to you. Okay, so what did Jesus, well, what did Jesus do? Here, I, I, it says Jesus, he promised, he said, he promised, I will send the Spirit to you. So Jesus, here's what Jesus did. I just constantly keep coming back. 
He'd finished all his ministry demonstrating what the Father's like. He's got one last thing to do to demonstrate how deeply God as a Father loves us and desires us in sonship. He gave his life up on the cross, dying a death of pain and shame. And as he did it and gave his life up, he was the elder brother. He was the representative of the Father, restoring the Father's honor and making it possible for many of us to come into relationship with God as Father. To as many as received him, John 1.12, he gave power, privilege, right, authority to become the children of God. So God, now, what you see again, what we don't get, we think from a Western viewpoint constantly. From a Middle Eastern viewpoint, the family of origin was the source of your honor. So even to this day, your family is the source of your honor. So anyone let the family down, that's why they have honor killings to try and make up and restore the family honor. Jesus' death was an honor killing on the cross to restore God's honor, to raise his family up, to come back into his presence again. So God wants to bring us into his presence and restore honor to us. When we come into the family of God, it's not like just, well, here I am, the family of God, the church. No, no, no. We are part of a royal family filled with honor. We're called to represent our father. When the prodigal son returned home, now think, think about this. Jesus taught, now this is what God is like. When the prodigal son returned home, he's smelling of the pigs. He's broken in his character. He's had bad attitudes. He's wasted his life. But when his father saw him when he was a long way off, his father was moved with compassion. This is what God is like. He's moved with a heart for us. The father did what no patriarch would do. He ran to him, hugged him, all the pig smell and everything, kissed him, welcomed him home. And then he did three significant things. Each one have got a part for us. Number one, he put his own robe over him. He took away the shame and covered him. When we come to the father, he wants to remove the shame of failure wants to remove the shame of the things we've been associated with, connected with. He wants to give us a standing before him. It's a standing of being right in his presence, of coming into his presence because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Two, he wants to put on your hand a ring of authority. Why? Because God designed man to represent him, to carry his authority, to speak on his behalf, cast out demons, pray for the sick, minister the power of God. Even the youngest believer, God puts a measure of authority on you so you can move in the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to everyone is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the building up. Why? Because Everyone in the family of God is called to be a son of the living God, to represent our Father, to show His character and nature, and to advance His kingdom with the power of God. Every believer is called to do that. Finally, he put on the shoes. The shoes are symbolic of the standing of sonship. Slaves wore bare feet, sons wore shoes. The putting on of the sons mean, I have restored you completely to full sonship to stand in my house as a son with access to me, to intimacy with me, to uh, approach me, to talk with me. The greatest thing we can do is understand what Christ has done for us and then begin to develop intimacy with God as a father. Intimacy is a journey. It's a journey of coming to walk with God and to know him, talk with him as Abba, Daddy, our father. That's what Jesus said. You can come to him, Father in heaven. We honor you. Father, our desire is for your kingdom to come through our lives. We want to be free of an orphan mentality, an orphan spirit. It requires a commitment to Christ, first of all. You can't find your identity outside yourself. You can't find it by trying all kinds of things. It's only found in our relationship with God as a father. It's found in knowing this is who I am. I'm his son. I'm in his image. I'm called to represent him. I need the journey now of getting to know what he's like and becoming intimate with him. As we become more and more intimate with God as our father, we begin to understand our sonship more deeply. Part of that journey means I've got to resolve issues with natural parents. I've got to resolve disappointments. I've got to resolve offenses. got to resolve pain and heartache where they tried their best maybe and just didn't come up or they left gaps. Whatever it is, no parents are perfect or complete. But God is, and we're complete in Him. 
I spent uh, about a year of my life making a pursuit just to know God as my father. And as I did it, oh, my life began to transform, to start to feel how deeply he loves us, how deeply he loves us. In Isaiah uh, 62, it tells us, he said, no longer will you be called forsaken or abandoned. I will call you Hepzibah, my delight and desire is in you. Imagine God looking at you and saying, I delight in you, I desire you, I long after you, you are precious to me. Take that scripture, for example, of the prodigal son and this encounter with the father and meditate in it until that becomes your story of God loving you and encountering you. There's no short path to intimacy, no shortcuts. It takes, first of all, a commitment to come to Christ. And secondly, a commitment to journey to get to know the Father as Jesus revealed him. I've spent some time studying him this last year. As I begin to look, I started to find God reveal himself to me so, so in such a precious way. And that's after all these years, 40 years in ministry, starting to discover him, really get to know him. What's stopping you and what's holding you back? Are you operating out of an orphan spirit mentality? To deal with that, we need to come in repentance. God, I tried to find life and identity outside of you. Father, I repent. I look to you to meet that need, to be loved, to be affirmed, to be valued, to know who I am, to know where I belong. Father, I accept the assignment you have for me. Father, I commit to live in a way that honors you. You see, if you don't see God that way, you come to church and just live whatever one you want. That's not being a son. You haven't got the revelation yet. Legally, you're in the family of God, but you're acting like a little baby. In 1 John, Paul uh, John, John writes, and he said, I write to you little children because you have need to be reminded God loves you and your sins are forgiven. Little children, it's always about their sins and failures and need to know they're loved and forgiven. He said, I write to you, young men, because you're strong. The Word of God is in you. You've learned how to overcome the devil. There's another stage of growth. Then he said, I write to you, fathers, because you've come to know him and now represent him. Church is needing fathers. Church is needing people to grow. Church is needing people to mature. Church is needing people to get revelation of God as a father and assume their assignment. You are a sent person, not an accident. You are a person God has sent. Maybe he sent you into your family to change its destiny. Maybe he sent you into the workplace to change something there. But every one of us, that is us, we're children of God, sent to advance his kingdom. Now, if you think that way, ministry is anywhere, anytime, any place, with anyone. If you think that way, then walking with God is anytime, any place, wherever you are, you're His representative. You're His son carrying His name. When people look at you, they say, oh, wow, that's different. See, when you think that way, you'll behave differently. When you think that way and your identity is that way, you behave differently at work. You behave differently in relationships. You'll be thinking, oh, no, no, this is the way I think. I'm generous because my daddy is generous. See, I forgive. Well, not because you deserve it. I forgive because my daddy's a forgiver and I'm like him. See? And I encourage people. Why? Because my daddy's a great encourager. And I'm kind to people. Why? Because my father is very kind. And I'm trying to let you know what our father is like. Can you understand? It's how you live your life. People watch. I had a lady come up to me one day and she said, I'd like to share something with you. I feel I can trust you. I said, that's really interesting. Why do you feel you can trust me? She said, I've been watching you for two years. I said, really? That's what I thought. Re- really? Two years? I had to go a little bit. I said, what have you been watching? She said, I watch how you treat your wife. I watch how you talk to your children. And I watch how you talk to the strange people that sometimes come into church. She said, I feel I can trust you with my life. And she shared 
the terrible pain of all the abuse she'd gone through. She was just looking to believe there's someone I can trust because so many you can't. What an honor to be in the family of God. What an honor to be his child. Your life is no longer determined by what others are doing. You're free of that now. It's determined by what Father says. It's determined by I'm representing him. People do crazy stuff. People hurt you, people betray. They all do sorts of stuff. But that's their trouble. It's not my, I'm not going to make it mine. Yeah. I know what I'm called to do. Yeah. Father, I forgive them. I move on. You understand if you live out of identity, you're not living by rules. You're living out of being led by the Spirit and you're being true to who you really are. It takes time for our head to catch up with who we really are. Because after you're born again, you still carry on thinking the same old way and doing the same old stuff. But as we get nearer and nearer to God, we start to become aware, this is who I am. I'm called to be just like Jesus. He's a representative of the Father. The more I focus on Him, the more I become like Him. So how did He treat people? How did He handle disappointments? How did He overcome betrayal? How did He deal with the issues of life? That's who I am. I'm called to be like that. And if I start doing those things, I'm outworking my identity. I'm no longer an orphan. I've got a dad to look after me now. And dad knows how to look after you. That's why Jesus taught, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, put father and his kingdom and interest first. Everything you need will just come in here. It'll gravitate into your life and you won't live full of fear and anxiety like everyone else. Can you see if you look back now into the word, some of the teachings make sense. Some things you've read, you'll start to see them a bit differently. Like Jesus teaching, he says, hey, listen, if you, if you love those who love you, well, what grace of God is on you? What power of God is on you? Even the sinners can do that. If you give to people who have given to you, what big deal is that, you know? Even the sinners do that. There's no grace or power. But oh, if you can love those, and they, they, they turn into your enemies. If you can be kind to people, you can you give without trying to get anything back. Oh, then you are sons of your father. And he will reward you. See, you're no longer looking to someone to be your source. When I look to people to be my source, I get disappointed all the time. When I stop looking, just said, Father, you're going to have to provide. He comes through in every kind of which way. I never, it amazed me. I am still amazed. I'm constantly amazed how God comes through. But he doesn't come through the people I would think it would be. He says, you just bless people. I'll come through for you. See, what a rest it gives you in your life. Is that what you're looking for? You'll find it only in the relationship with God as your Father. Coming to know Him deeply and intimately. Coming to abandon the orphan mindset. I'm on my own. No one cares. I've got to fight for everything. No, you don't. If you trust whatever you commit into His hands, He can keep for you. Why don't we close our eyes right now? Father, I thank you right now. I can sense your presence and your love. What a deep love you have for your people that you say you delight in us. You take pleasure in us. You like us. You want to be intimate with us. You long for a deep realm of intimacy. Listen, just while we're just in this moment right now, if there's any person here and you've never ever become a Christian, never given your life to Christ, never made the first step towards God, tonight I invite you to make that first step to open your life to receive Christ. To everyone who received Him and believed in Him, that's a commitment to walk with Him. He gave power to become a child of God, the right to become a child of God. The moment you receive Christ, immediately something changes in you. God's Spirit comes inside you and bears witness, I'm a child of God. I belong to God. God is my Father. Is there any person who's not? Why don't you raise your hand? Any person here just wanting to receive Christ, just raise your hand right now. Let me see. Just let me see right now. Any person wanting to raise your hand to receive Christ. God bless. I see your hand over there, dear. Anyone else, a second person? Just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. Anyone else? Perhaps someone you've walked away from God tonight. You're feeling that draw back to Him. Would you raise your hand and say, I want to receive Christ. Is that you? Just put your hand up. God bless. God bless. Anyone else? Anyone else? anyone else important decision important decision 
not a decision to become part of a church. That's a separate decision. Become part of the family where you can be helped and nurtured and grown. It's a decision to open your life and believe Christ died on the cross for those failures and sins that have separated me from my Father. It's a decision to come home, to come back to Father. You ready to make that decision? Why don't you raise your hand, anyone else? I want you just to follow me with a simple prayer. And just, I'm not going to get anyone to come up just at this point, but let me just pray a simple prayer. Would you follow me in this prayer? Just, just pray the prayer with me now. Follow me as I lead you in it. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. Pray the prayer out loud, everyone. That's right. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Father, I come home to you tonight. I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your spirit into my heart. And I give you my life today. I abandon the orphan spirit. And I choose tonight to accept my true identity. I'm a child of God. God is my father. I am his child. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give another opportunity in a moment for people just to receive ministry. You want a touch of God on your life tonight. Perhaps God spoke to you. Perhaps there's something you need to deal with. Perhaps there's an issue with the father. He's hurt you, abused you, neglected in some way, abandoned you. And you've known tonight that's, that's in my heart. And it's stopping me getting to know God as a father. Just why don't you say tonight, I'm going to choose to forgive and let it go. Perhaps there's others and you've been hurt by people in church, hurt by a church leader, hurt in some kind of way. You don't trust anymore. You say, God, tonight, I want to let that go. I want to bring that to the cross. Perhaps there's others tonight and you realize you're showing all the traits of someone who's struggling on their own. You say, God, tonight, I want you to touch me. Touch me with your love. Touch me with your presence. I want you to set me free of that striving, that competitive thing in my heart, that searching for approval. I want to be free of it, that, that looking to get recognition from people. I want to be free of it, that using and people to get noticed and, and to feel powerful in my life. Lord, I want to abandon those things tonight. I want you to touch me. That's you tonight. Why don't you make your way forward tonight? Perhaps there's others and you've got a grief in your heart or something, a sorrow over some situation in life and you say, Father, I need your comfort tonight. Perhaps there's some of you who are struggling around the financial area. Father, I need you to provide. I need a breakthrough in provision tonight. Why don't we just come to the front and lift our hands. We're going to worship our Father and talk to Him and tell Him our needs. Someone will come along. We'll lay hands on you and pray for you. Let's all stand together, shall we?